welcome to the third of four shows in which we'll be meeting the latest group of entrepreneurs from the Block Dojo Incubator Programme in London. On the day of their final showcase presentation to an audience of potential investors, I talked to the founders of two businesses that aim to make the market for carbon credits work more efficiently and to improve business IT security through the work of ethical hackers. You're listening to CoinGeek Conversations with Charles Miller. Mark Moores believes there's a chance to promote decarbonizing projects like growing trees by tackling the financial problems that the early stages of these projects often suffer from. And that's what his business Carby plans to do. We need more carbon projects to fight climate change. But not many people know that in 2022, actually less carbon credits came to the market as new carbon credits than in 2021. There's problems with market scaling because carbon projects face barriers to get started. There's, there's two main barriers. One's to do with the complexity of certification. Uh, and there's people working on that already. There's a group at MIT who are training ChatGPT to produce the documentation that the projects require. So, so just to be clear then, these projects would be projects that are saving carbon in order to get credits that other people will buy. Is that right? Yeah, they're mainly projects that are trying to remove carbon from the atmosphere. Right. That could be by growing a forest Yeah. or, or many other. So if, you, if you've got a business that grows a forest, yeah. how does the carbon credit side of that work? Then what happens next? Um, they, they face a particularly big problem, projects that are growing forests. So even once you get started, you've got a huge funding gap because it can be five to eight years before the trees are of a sufficient size to kind of really absorb much carbon from the atmosphere. So, so you've got to fund that period, planting the trees, the land, the, the certification itself, which is over $100,000, up to millions. So all that's very expensive before you actually get this stream of revenue from carbon credits. So what we're trying to do is allow those projects to sell future carbon credits to generate funding now so that they can either get started or expand their projects. Right, okay, so you're sort of creating a futures market. Yes, we're creating that a That didn't market. exist. Yes. And so how would that work then? What, what would, who would be paying who, what and when? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, we've got a platform called Carby. On one side, we'll have an onboarding team to onboard the carbon projects. Um, and you can get quite a lot of details about those projects. For instance, there's over a thousand carbon projects that are currently stuck in, in kind of the process of registering. So if I um, want to plant a forest, but haven't yeah. got enough money, yes. I'll come along to you and I'll say, this is what I've got, help. Um, what would happen then? Then we'd do some due diligence. We'd have to review all your project documentation. We'd probably have to visit the site. We'd have to look at the people involved. And then we'd allow you to issue a small amount of your future carbon credits in a specific year on our platform, which is based upon NFTs on the blockchain. So would I get money in return for that? You'd get to issue the NFTs. And then the other side of our platform is obviously buyers. Initially, we're targeting cryptocurrency investors because they have a high risk tolerance and they're willing to try new things. 
But later on, the, the market will be large corporates. Right. Right. Who are so you'd to allow hold. me to create NFTs that are specific to my project. Yes. And then you would use your platform to, to attract people to buy the NFTs from me. Yes, that's it. That, that's kind of one part of it. Um, now, the danger with that type of marketplace is it becomes quite a liquid because all carbon credits are unique. They're, they're all different. The risks for a forest in Ecuador are very different from the risks for a forest in Germany. Different weather for a start, different regulatory regimes, everything's different. So it's not easy to group carbon credits as a commodity. Normally, futures markets would be kind of grouped commodities of contracts of 100,000. It's not easy to do that with carbon credits. So what we enable is this marketplace where people can diversify their risk across many different carbon projects, but with the danger, it becomes a liquid. So we address that by allowing people to lock their NFTs into an asset pool and kind of wrap or spin up a generic token based right. upon the value of that asset pool. Isn't this what happened with subprime mortgages? No, no, because the, the asset pools there on chain and auditable um, and, and you're not getting leverage. It's not a leverage thing. It, it's just a token based on the asset pool. So that, that generic token can then be traded. Um, and both the carbon market and the cryptocurrency markets are fairly volatile. So there's likely to be significant action there, which would cause people to be interested in also burning that generic token and unwrapping it back into the underlying assets. So that, that kind of creates more price discovery and liquidity in the market. Right. So somebody who's buying the NFT for my not yet yep. grown forest, yep. are they doing that to get some sort of uh, sustainability points for their business? Or is it just purely because it's not, it's not actually in itself a carbon credit, though, is it? No. So... Attached to the NFT will be a legal document called an advanced purchase agreement, which, which will mean that the project has the legal uh, obligation to deliver the carbon credit to you once it's actually been produced. So that NFT is going to represent a specific carbon credit in a specific future year. So if, if the forest doesn't materialize, then you could be sued. The, the forest grower or promiser could be sued for not fulfilling their contract. Um, well, they could, except for, you know, if if it's beyond their control, right. uh, I mean, that would be reasonable. Uh, that's actually the problem with the market at the moment. There are some kind of non-blockchain businesses that do offer this kind of funding. Um, but because they take on all the risk of the project, they're very expensive. So they can cost a carbon project up to 50% of all their future carbon credits for the entire lifetime of the project. Um, right. So we're trying to change that. You know, it'll be at least 10 times cheaper because they only have to offer what they need for the funding they need today rather than being locked into that long-term contract. And the reason people accept a lower return is that you don't have to have NFTs all of one project. You could have a diversified portfolio of 200 projects of similar types. Is there going to be an appetite for this market, do you think? Well, I, I think um, back in 2021, 2022, I, I don't know if you are familiar with ClimaDAO and Toucan. They, they tokenized um, carbon credits on Vera's registry. 
Um, and they did over $2 billion worth on-chain in nine months. Uh, unfortunately, they were infringing various terms of service. And I think they probably wanted to ask for forgiveness rather than permission. But but Vera shut them down in May 2022. But but that just shows some of the appetite for carbon credits among the cryptocurrency community. Um, I, I mean, particularly given that people expect the value of carbon credits to rise significantly. Um, estimates are about 20 times over the next 12 years. Mm. So, And is what's your motivation here? Is this a straight business uh, idea for you or is there a sort of social purpose to it that's no, important to you as well? No. Uh, I mean, we, of, of, there's five founders of our company. Four of us have children. You know, when you, when you have a child, you kind of reevaluate things and you think about the future. Uh, and one thing you've got to think about is what type of planet are we bequeathing our children? Um, what's going to be there for them? I mean, at the moment, just this summer, all around the world, we're seeing um, incredibly hot weather conditions. Very, it, it seems abnormal. I mean, and, you know, are, are we going to hit targets to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees? Probably not. What do you think is the biggest challenge in trying to pull this thing off then really is it going to be getting people to sign up to use it or creating the platform or getting the people to buy the the nfts or what the the biggest challenge is going to be um signing people up um not not the projects you know over 90 percent of the people we've spoken to in the carbon markets are very enthusiastic because about it's the just idea. a win-win for them but because it's a win-win for them um it, it's initially convincing people to take a chance on a new platform. But, but later on, it's convincing large corporates to use it to hedge their future carbon exposure. Uh, and that'll be more difficult. I, I mean, one of the ways in which our platform is particularly valuable is that it'll help small and medium-sized projects. Now, large carbon credit projects don't have such a problem. Say you're producing 5 million carbon credits a year, you could go direct to, say, Shell and say, buy our carbon credit. But say you've got a small forest in Ecuador um, and you're reforesting it and you're going to produce 70,000 carbon credits a year. You don't know anyone at Shell. You know, you, you've not got those contacts. So you'll sell through a complex kind of network of intermediaries. You'll sell to maybe a local broker who sells to a broker in North America who sells to Microsoft. And lots of the value of the market is captured by those intermediaries at the moment, 30 to 50%. So, you know, even if you do get your project started, then you're losing on the selling side. Right. Uh, so what happens is those projects at the base level are kind of starved of the revenue. Not all the revenue reaches them. So they, they can't kind of expand their project. So you can, you can put the buyers and sellers direct. In, yeah, in touch with each other. So there is a, a level of disintermediation here and right. kind of bringing buyers and sellers closer together. And it's good for the buyers too, because at the moment, quite a few large corporates have been caught out. Uh, and there's been news articles about not buying high quality credits. I, I mean, I think corporate buyers need to understand a bit more exactly what they're investing in. Uh, and by directly contacting the projects, they, they can understand a bit more about that. Well, it sounds like a fantastic project, Mark, and I wish you every success with it. It would be brilliant if it all comes together. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Thank you.
Gene Lehman is an expert in cybersecurity. His startup, CyberX Chain, aims to improve communication between companies who want to invite people to test the vulnerabilities of their systems and the expert hackers who do that work. So, Gene, I know CyberX Chain is a marketplace, a digital marketplace. Who is it going to bring together? So, CyberX Chain is a marketplace bringing together ethical hackers and businesses. Cybercrime is a massive problem estimated to cost the world $10.3 trillion by 2030. And every day brings its new headline of cyber attacks. And it seems that we're observing a never-ending cycle of cyber attacks between, and the cyber arms race between attackers and, def- and defenders. So ethical hackers are essentially professionals, security experts, consultants, they're actually looking to flag and fix and identify vulnerabilities in computer systems. So can actually companies can be better informed and the, the vulnerabilities and the steps on how to fix them. Right. So companies actually want these guys to hack into their systems so that they can see how bad guys would do the same thing, right? Yeah, exactly. To mitigate the risk from these vulnerabilities to be exploited by the bad, by the, by the bad guys. So... A company would essentially define a a vulnerability disclosure policy, which is the policy that governs the way it actually would expose vulnerabilities to ethical hacking community. And typically, companies would typically organize public or private bug bounty programs. A public bug bounty program is actually uh, open to everyone. A private bug bounty program is open to accessible to all. So they basically advertise and say, we will give a reward if you can hack into our systems, right? Exactly. And those rewards varies. Uh, on average, um, for example, the financial services industry, uh, an average bug bounty is around $2,000. Some of the but highest. Not very much. For the critical, bug, bug, for critical vulnerabilities and the medium to low critical vulnerabilities, low vulnerabilities around uh, hundreds of dollars. Um, and some of the highest bug bounties can go up to $30,000, even $100,000. So. Yeah. So, how is your company going to intervene into this yeah. process then? Yeah. So, essentially, we're creating a trust and economic layer to bring businesses and, and ethical hackers together. Because at the moment, it's yeah. just very informal, I suppose, is it? Well, companies, uh, for, it's kind of interesting to notice that only 7% of Forbes 500 companies have a vulnerabilities disclosure policy. So, there's ample room for development. Right. So vulnerabilities disclosure policy means what? That they they are public about how they are going to test the security of their yes, system. Yes, it's actually the, the policy and best practices that govern the way they, they would expose the systems to the ethical hacking community. So essentially the, the policy to govern the way they would organize bounty programs. And those bug, bug bounty pro- programs can be either public or private. So public means that they are accessible to to all and private, meaning, meaning that they're all, only accessible to uh, to invite uh, the right. invitation. Yeah, yeah. This may be a stupid question, but do we know whether there is an overlap between ethical hackers and unethical hackers? I mean, yeah. do the same people get money yeah. for doing the right thing that get money for doing the wrong yeah, thing? Yeah, and absolutely. We need to mitigate any risk of um, bad behavior. So, and that's why we're actually creating a decentralized identity layer so that we can actually vet ethical hackers um, through KYC process to mitigate the risk of essentially ethical hackers, uh, ethical hackers to to 
rather than reporting those vulnerabilities, exploiting them for nefarious purposes. So the idea is that the platform would be um, allowing for a vetting and KYC process to mitigate the risk. So could you say that CyberX chain is kind of trying to professionalize ethical hacking? Yes, we are professionalizing ethical hacking and we are democratizing ethical hacking and making it more accessible, cost-effective for both businesses and ethical hackers. Interesting. So how did you get into this field? Well, I initially studied computer science, network security, uh, and cryptography in, in Switzerland with IBM Research in my master's degree. And then after working many years in the business and technology consulting industry for large investment banks, I created my cybersecurity consulting advisory company, Cyber Capital Partners, advising enterprise clients on the security strategy and policy and building an ecosystem of partnerships with leading cybersecurity vendors. And I realized that the, the, the service model is not a very scalable model. And I wanted to build a platform to essentially address the cybersecurity challenge and look at how we can actually create economic incentives to improve security posture. And is the blockchain necessary for that? Blockchain is a way to improve operational efficiency and create economic incentives called collective threat intelligence data sharing. So look at blockchain as a way to create an economic policy governance and technology layer, which is going to bring various types of efficiency and benefits around smart contracts for rule-based automation of security events. And would you be using the blockchain for data storage only, or would you be actually paying people through well, Bitcoin SV? Or? Well, actually, interestingly, we have we are creating three service components on the on the on the blockchain. One is a decentralized identity layer. User will be able to manage their user credential, and they will keep ownership of the identity and user credentials. But the the, the, the identity layer is crucial for authentication and validation purposes. Then we have. Um, an Oracle layer, which is essentially a smart contract, which allows to create an interface between on-chain and off-chain data. And the third layer is essentially a token economic, an economic layer, where, where we can actually create NFTs that are a digital representation of value of the vulnerabilities that are actually going to be fixed by ethical hackers, so that upon resolution, upon actually flagging and reporting a vulnerability, the NFT can be transferred on the ethical hackers digital wallet, which are actually going to allow them to redeem the tokens and then exchange into fiat currencies. So essentially, it's a transfer and exchangeability mechanism. So you're sort of creating your own coins in a way, with it, tokens yes, anyway. Yes, we are creating a, 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 token, a, a token so that ethical hackers can be directly rewarded mm. in the digital wallet or open resolution, which is actually going to um, to, 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 to make ethical hackers like much easier, uh, much easier as, as they will get paid much faster. Is Bitcoin SV uh, necessary for this? Would there be other blockchains you could have used? So potentially we're taking a technology agnostic approach. Essentially we've been working with N-Chain on technical specifications. But the reality is that we want to create the best possible underlying token economic and operational incentives. And one key aspect of choosing a blockchain, of multiple blockchains, actually it could be multiple blockchain, is to find a way to have interoperability mechanism so that we can have cross-chain compatibility between different, uh, different, different chains. So essentially, we want to create a blockchain that is 
going to be essentially have a, a wider reach in terms of uh, the, the community and the audience that can actually be used. So we're keeping our options open as it relates to the, the, the choice of the blockchain that we will be using. And, and yeah, so, so we, th th that's the, that's the, the, the principle of taking an architectural technology agnostic approach to, to cybersecurity, uh, to, 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 um, to, to building the platform. Interestingly, there are three characteristics that are important when choosing the, a blockchain, a particular token, is transaction throughput, transaction volume, and transaction costs. So essentially, we, we want to have low transaction cost, high transaction volume, and high transaction throughput. Bitcoin SV supporters would claim that it is far and away the best for those measures. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I've heard many good things about the big Bitcoin SV, especially as a when I attended the London Blockchain Conference, I met some really interesting companies that are building on on the BSV ecosystem, and there's very much a path that we we, we could we could take. Yeah. Great. Well, sounds an amazing business. So, really good luck with it, Gene. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for talking to me. Thank you. Thanks very much to Gene Lehman and to Mark Moores, who we met first. Next week, in the last of these shows. I'll be learning more about the carbon market, this time about how emissions can be measured more accurately. So please join me for that. But until then, thanks for listening. And from me, Charles Miller, goodbye. Hey, everybody, I'm Kurt Wooker Jr. Join us live on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where you can ask me questions, comments, blessings, cursings, scrapes, gripes, or gropes. You can catch us live across CoinGeeks, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and probably a whole bunch of other places, too. I think the big thing here, the big innovation, is the Ordinal's numbering system. So utility is driven by this whole idea of springboarding us in terms of innovation by using micropayments and unlocking all these different new ways of doing things. Decentralization, the meme, as people think of it, I don't think exists at all, anywhere. Bitcoin mining, Bitcoin wallet, blockchain, stablecoins, Metanet, the evolution of money. Everybody is talking about Bitcoin today. But what exactly is it? Learn the basics from experts. Learn what Bitcoin is, how it works, and why it matters. Blockchain 101, your ultimate guide to the fundamentals of blockchain.